Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we have so many good news stories to share with you here on this Friday before Thanksgiving. Hope you're getting ready for the Thanksgiving holiday. Don't forget, Thanksgiving, of course, is early this year because it's the fourth Thursday of the month, and since November 1st was a Wednesday, then you can do the math. Uh, that also means, too, that we're getting into Christ the King Sunday, which is kind of the New Year's Eve of the new church calendar. And then the with Christmas Day being on the 25th, a Sunday this year, um, Advent has one of those weird turns where the first Sunday of Advent, December 4th, second, the 11th, the third, the 18th, and then the fourth one, Christmas Day. And this will be an interesting year, uh, an interesting year indeed. And I, 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 I have to admit, I'm grateful this year, we got family kind of all over the country and we're trying to figure out the holidays. I am very grateful that I don't have a church assignment this year. This will be the second, little third year in a row that I haven't had to, I've gotten to just go to church and be there, you know, on, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Because I know that there's that all, the, the all too familiar dilemma. I know we're talking good news, but this is good news about the good news. Uh, how many churches are going to be open on Christmas Day and how many churches will not. And I know it's a huge subject of debate for a lot of different reasons. First and foremost, let's be practical. Christmas Day has become so much a part of our culture with regard to uh, you know, the presents and the families getting together and this, that, and the other thing that there are a lot of believers who will talk a great game about their faith, but when it comes to worshiping God, one day a week, and Sunday's the day that the modern evangelical church chooses to worship, they're going to say, well, I'm not going to go on Sunday. Now, they're not going to go on Sunday in many cases because, I mean, ostensibly, because a lot of folks, for them, Christmas Eve is your Christmas worship service. And I know I've been part of a Lutheran church. I, I didn't grow up in the Lutheran church per se, but I spent half my life in the uh, Lutheran church and uh, an ELCA church that became part of Lutheran Congregations and Mission for Christ. And we could see it. We had... Um, four Christmas Eve services at our main campus, and then we had one at our satellite campus as well. And then we had a Christmas morning service, and you could always tell who the old school Lutherans were because they came Christmas morning. And I didn't really, I always thought, well, that'd be kind of fun to go to church on Christmas Day, wouldn't it? And then I went through a, a personal family situation where I, my first wife and I were divorced, and, um, and I was a single guy on Christmas Day. And we did what we could on Christmas Eve, you know, to kind of hang out with the family and this, that, and the other thing, go to church. But then Christmas Day rolled around and I volunteered that first year that I was no longer, you know, in family operation. I volunteered to preach on Christmas morning. And it was life-changing for me. I loved preaching the gospel, taking communion. We had over a hundred, I want to say it was close to 150 people at our church. Our church used to worship, uh, you know, 12, 1300 folks. And a good worship service was maybe 150 to 200. But Christmas morning, there were that many people who would come and want to hear the good news proclaimed. And so it was a regular for me for about three, four years to preach on Christmas Day. And then I had a chance to preach on Christmas Eve. And that was a lot of fun. But I remember the year that we had Christmas Eve on a Sunday. And the question was, well, what do we do? Because if we have three services in the morning and then we got four services in the evening, a lot of people are going to go to church in the evening because they'll say, well, I already went to church. And that's a big dilemma. I understand that churches wrestle with this a lot. They'll either do the, you know, uh, we're, we're not having a worship service on Christmas Day because we know families want to be together to celebrate that time. 
and uh, let's face it, let's be honest. A lot of families will say Christmas Eve is my Christmas service. And, you know, I don't think they're incorrect. In all honesty, if you follow the old Jewish calendar, you know, the way the days, God marks time in the Bible where there was evening and there was morning the first day, there was evening, there was morning the second day. So technically, what we would call Christmas Eve in our culture, it is, if you want to say I worship on Christmas Day, going to church that evening of the 24th is your Christmas Day worship. So that's how I reconcile it. If you want to go to church on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, knock yourself out. And the question of whether or not to worship on Sunday has been subject to debate for quite some time. The New Testament church has always seemed to adhere to a Sunday worship, though there are some parts of the church, like the Seventh-day Adventists, that still adhere to the Saturday. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus says, you know, uh, he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I do remember that. You didn't say we shouldn't do that. But quite frankly, there are a lot of Christians who, I mean, the (laughs) Saturday is the busiest day of the week for them. And Sunday's the day we say, oh, no, 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 we could never, you know, we check into church and do whatever. And again, I would say to you, if you want to be a Sunday person, you know, my friend Lila Gilbert always talks about the Saturday people are the Jews and the Sunday people are the Christians. If you want to be a Sunday person, you can go to church on Saturday night. You know, <laughs> you knock it out both ways. But, you know, whatever you choose to do, whatever you purpose to do, I think God is more interested in what's going on in your heart. If you're a pastor, I hope that you will keep Sunday morning open for worship on Christmas Day, the 25th, and on New Year's Day as well. Um, But if for some reason that's not, you know, in your DNA, uh, whatever you do, don't let the world tell you what to do. Follow what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. And I think you'll win. Um, That's a little diatribe for me as we get into the holiday season. Uh, We'll be doing here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm going to go through Advent and we'll um, we will take a look at the, uh, the different weeks of Advent, maybe on Good News Friday, maybe on Monday. I'm not sure how to handle that logistically because I like to give a Christmas Eve message that we carry on uh, the Friday before Christmas. And so I will do that again this year. Um, and I've got a Thanksgiving message, you know, lined up too. Uh, but just to, if you're setting your calendar at home, uh, <laughs> that's, that's how we're doing it here on the Bottom Line Show. Uh, Good News Friday, the first story here is a, I think it's a nice one. Um, it's one of those situations where it's often our desire as Americans and Christians to look at what happens in our country and we just kind of assume it's going to be that way uh, for the rest of the world as well. And that's not always the case. If you were looking for a story, uh, th- this is a good news story about a German family who uh, they were facing deportation in the U.S. Uh, they've been given a one-year reprieve. Um, and and this is the the... Rema, uh, let's see, Romiki, Romiki family. Um, I remember my high school German. They've lived in Tennessee since 2008. They've lived here legally since 2008. And one of the reasons they like living in the U.S. instead of Germany is because they like to homeschool their kids. Now, when you talk about homeschooling their kids, there's a lot of kids. Let me look at the family picture here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine children that they are homeschooling or have, excuse me, 10. There's a little girl here who's kind of hiding in the back. Two, four, six, eight. No, it's nine. I counted mom twice. The, <laughs> you can see the article of thebottomlightshow.com. You can count for yourself. Um, the, the family loves being in the U.S. because they like the opportunity to homeschool. And it's interesting because uh, the, the, the family had been slated for deportation. Uh, here's what happened. Uh, U.S. Uh, 
Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, decided that they should be sent back. They've been dealing with legal battles for over a decade now. In May of 2013, the U.S. US Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously ruled against them, saying that the German government were not persecuting them. This is the three-judge panel. But rather, they just said they need to come back for whatever reason. Uh, They immigrated into the U.S. in 2008 because they were harassed by the German government for homeschooling their children. Evidently, homeschooling in Germany is basically against the law. So they leave Germany, they come to the U.S., they're here for about five years, and the German government keeps coming after them, saying, you can't homeschool your kids. And they're saying, yeah, but we immigrated to the U.S. We're here legally now. You can't take us away. In 2014, they took their case or tried to, to the Supreme Court. The uh, U.S. Department of Homeland Security actually granted them a special status that allowed them to stay in the country, but the Supreme Court did not want to hear this case on appeal. Last month, during a routine checkup with local Immigration and Customs Office, the family was told they had four weeks before going. They they were going to get kicked out. According to Uwe uh, Romilke, who's the father of the family, he gave an interview to Knoxville, Tennessee-based WBIR News, and he said, look, my family works here. Everything we have is in America. We don't have any place to live there. I don't have any work there. We're basically American citizens. Two issues come up. First and foremost, someone seeking, uh, well, I would say political asylum and religious asylum here in the U.S., the Romaiki family wants to raise their kids in the U.S., not so much because the U.S. is the best place, but um, they basically want, I mean, they're looking for a place where they could experience the kind of freedom, educationally, to raise their kids the way they want to. Now, it, it's interesting that there were U.S. Congress people who were trying to make this work. Uh, Tennessee Representative Diana Harshberger had sponsored legislation that was designed to give them permanent residency status to stay here in the U.S. In September, several Tennessee lawmakers signed a joint letter to U.S. ICE, uh, U.S. Immigration and Customs Informant, saying that it would be cruel and unnecessary to deport the family. But here's the second issue. The Romaiki family have lived here for 15 years, and I don't know if they're trying to apply for residency, if they're trying to apply for citizenship. That's not indicated here in this story. In this story. According to uh, federal immigration officials, they said they did not meet the parameters to receive political asylum. At that point, I don't understand why the family wouldn't then say, we want to apply for citizenship. They were trying to do asylum. But please understand that if they had applied and they were waiting 15 years, the system is jacked up in that regard. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, you're aware of the fact that the current administration will grant emergency asylum status to anybody who comes from outside of the U.S. and says, I want to come here because I'm transgender. And I want to change my gender here. That's my true identity. They won't recognize me there. I have to flee my homeland. That person gets asylum immediately. But a family, ostensibly a Christian family, that comes to the United States and builds a life here, family, 
business, network, the whole shot, simply because it started with the desire to homeschool their children is now being told that they're not eligible for asylum? That they should, it was U.S. border officials who were cooperating with German authorities initially. To, you got four weeks, pack up 15 years worth of school and you're out. The Homeschool Legal Defense Association has announced that the family has in fact given a one-year reprieve. And so they're basically saying during that one year, now it's on the family, maybe to be a bit more diligent than they had been in the past, but also for U.S. law enforcement to say, hey, why are you picking on this family when they're not harming anybody? I've got a link for this uh, article up at thebottomlineshow.com, and it's good news indeed. As we continue, an update uh, coming from uh, Israel, of all places, with regard to what's going on with Hamas and a huge victory for the IDF. When you find out where they actually had success in the battle, you'll be even more grateful, glory to God, but you'll also be more disgusted, especially for those, if you have friends who are saying, but Palestine, we need to support Palestine. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and I came bearing gifts I love having Good News Friday programs where we've got giveaways. The uh, giveaways coming up in the second half hour of the broadcast. You'll need to be listening, especially if you or someone you know deals with PTSD. We have a great resource for you, and we'll be giving away a couple copies of that later on in the broadcast today. A victory for the Israeli Defense Force and IDF victory here is important because it basically underscores, the, in a nutshell, why so many Christian Americans are supporting Israel in the battle with Hamas and how nuanced this is. Now, we've been sharing with you for the better part of a couple months, actually for the whole 13 years of the Bottom Line Show, that the battle with Israel versus anybody who's not Israel in the Middle East, they're all 22 nations that want to blow them off the face of the earth, have to understand a couple things about Israel. First and foremost, Israel is where God's chosen people live. We're not talking replacement theology that the American Christian Church somehow replaces everybody living in Jerusalem. There's an old covenant, there's a new covenant, and the replacement is that Jesus now is the new covenant and the new covenant is in his blood. So, but Jerusalem still has a place in God's heart. When Jesus returns, he will come to rule and reign where? Jerusalem. So we see things happening in Israel and a bunch of Christians say, Israel needs to back off and boycott, diversify, and sanction. And Well, you're missing the point. I mean, Israel has already won the, the war, but there are battles that rage on. Israel that we see today isn't anywhere nearly as big as biblical Israel. And yet they're doing what they can to live peaceably with their neighbors and around them. I mean, the whole Gaza situation, remember as Ariel Sharon 2005 ceded back Gaza to the Palestinians. So Israel isn't there. You know, people are saying, why are they bombing all these people? Well, they're, they're, they're protecting from the attacks against Hamas. That's right. The Palestinians, Christian and non who lived in the area in 2005, 2006, decided that the government that should, that should set up shop and represent them was basically Hamas, which is a terrorist group. Hamas doesn't care who they kill. Right now, the whole idea with them attacking Israel the way they have has been to show the world, see how put upon we are. All we have to do, if you know anybody who's what they call a cry bully, who will bother you and antagonize you and even maybe hit you or strike you, and then when you retaliate, they're, hey, don't hit me. Don't hurt me. What the heck? Hamas is a cry bully. 
They're funded by Iran. They're funded by Syria, ostensibly by Russia. And that's where they get their weaponry. And they will kill their own people to prove a point because they know if they launch an attack like this, the counterattack by Israel to protect their territory will garner more sympathy for them. And it's working. Almost every one of my left-leaning friends is just like, we've got to save Palestine. And, oh, but let me give you an example. This is the, the uh, what happens. Hamas will go into areas like schools and hospitals and churches and mosques. Um, they set up this network of tunnels. They take hostages. They rape and torture and kill. And then they know the world will blame Israel the minute Israel sends a couple of rockets back in retaliation. It's amazing to see how Israel and Hamas doing battle are literally just gutting this region. It's, re it's really heartbreaking to see. But Israeli forces, troops from the 933rd Nahal Infantry Brigade, which is one of the five brigades of the IDF, completed a takeover of a place called Outpost 17 in northern Gaza. Now, that used to be run by Hamas. But after a 10-hour firefight... Israeli troops prevailed. Now, here's, the, I mean, dozens of terrorists were killed. The fighting was done above and below ground. And this is why this is so important. In taking over the stronghold, the IDF uncovered Hamas's group tunnel shafts. And IDF officials say that one of those tunnel shafts where the Hamas leaders were doing what they were doing was literally steps within a local kindergarten. Now, when you hear about these attacks, oh, a bunch of kids were blown up. Oh, there was a hospital and this is so terrible. And why is Israel being so cruel? The reality is, if you've ever seen that standoff between the uh, person who's been taken hostage and their captor has a gun to their head or whatever it is, and then you see the good guy, the law enforcement person saying, drop the weapon or this, that, and the other thing. And if you shoot me, I'll shoot them and whatever. And that's in essence what Hamas has done, not just literally with the hostages, hostages that have been held hostage, but also in the schools and the hospitals and things like that. The fact that they have these networks where they can actually move about and when you consider that uh, th those things are there to move about, but they're also booby-trapped in such a way that if Israel were to try to detonate anything there, they would blow up and they'd wind up killing innocent people because the innocent people are collateral damage to Hamas. There's some video that the IDF have been posting. We'll, we've got a link. A lot of it is, is uh, hot-keyed, uh, hot uh, aggregated in this one article from the Christian Post, and we'll post it up at thebottomlineshow.com. According to an IDF statement last week, Ibrahim Abdu Magshib, who is the head of Hamas's anti-tank missile unit in the Central Camps Brigade, was killed during the attack. An IDF fighter jet took him out. The attack was a result of successful intelligence garnered by the IDF's Israeli Security Authority. Since the beginning of this war, nearly 10,000 rockets and dozens of aircraft have been launched to attack Israel. 12% of the total launches toward Israel landed on the Gaza Strip. Okay? So there's a lot more than just happening in Gaza. It's really going all over the country. But here's the most interesting thing about this for me. I mentioned the 9,500 rocket launches and the dozens of aircraft. During that same time, 
what the IDF has been able to pick up is that nearly 10% of the rockets that have been fired at Israel have been fired from civilian sites. They aren't planes flying overhead and trying to take out strategic uh, uh, stronghold areas like we see in all the glamorize the war movies and things like that. These launches have taken place from rockets that are stationed in and detonated from mosques, schools, hospitals, and cultural centers. It's interesting when we mentioned earlier about the the fact that there was a, uh, an underground tunnel that was located near a kindergarten. According to the IDF, once they discovered this tunnel, they found out that it led to an extensive underground route of under other tunnels. I don't know that we in the States can fully appreciate what's happening in Israel right now. The, the fact that there's this network, of the, there's three different political uh, parties that are all in the Knesset, the, the, the legislature, if you will, in, in Israel, and Prime Minister Netanyahu has to try to bring those three together to determine what is, what, what's right and what's true and what isn't. But it is interesting that one thing has come out of this whole launching of rockets and death to civilians that actually I could see God's hand in it. I'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's not every day we talk about good news involving bombings and war and things like that. But what the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, have been able to do in the battle against Hamas is nothing short of spectacular. And the uh, 933rd Nahal Infantry Brigade, which is one of the five infantry brigades of the IDF, took over Outpost 17 in northern Gaza that uh, basically led to the death of the head of Hamas's anti-tank missile unit and also uncovered a huge underground network of tunnels and entrances, trapdoors, sneak peeks, if you will, uh, one of which the main entrance was by a local kindergarten. It's just horrifying to think that this kind of thing is happening now. And we just, our hearts are broken by the loss of life, the human carnage that we see, uh, you know, being carnaged in, in this region. But please understand a couple of things. And this is the, the heartening part. Good will overcome evil. There's no question about it. The question is, where is the evil and where is the good? 
and woe to any of us of the body of Christ for calling good evil and evil good. And so this is not just a, you know, people say, well, what about Israel? They do this and they do this and they're so bad and they're so horrible. And I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, there are four different types of love that God writes about in the New Testament. There is phileo love, which is the, that kind of uh, uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love, friend to friend love. There's eros love, you know, erotic, that's a husband and wife, man and woman love. And when God talks about the unnatural lusts in the scripture, it's men loving men that way and women loving women that way, which is not part of God's plan. Then there's agape love. And agape love is that uh, unconditional love, greater love hath no one than they lay down their life for their friends. But there's a fourth type of love that doesn't always get a lot of print, and that's called sorge love. Uh, one pastor friend of mine calls it anyway love. It's the kind of love that a parent has for a child when the child's screwing up royally. It's the kind of love that siblings have for each other. They say, oh man, you drive me crazy, but yeah, you're my brother, I love you anyway. I think we in the body of Christ are missing something if we don't look at our friends of the Jewish tradition, especially in Israel, and say, wait a minute, guys, look, here's the deal. We have good news for you. The good news for you is that Jesus is the Messiah and he's coming back and that you are his chosen people. We get to be grafted in too, but this good news of the gospel, our scripture tells us, is first for the Jew and then the Gentile. You have this tremendous blessing coming your way and you're missing it because 90% of your country right now doesn't even believe in God. You're culturally Jewish. May these battles and may this war right now be a wake-up call for people of the book, the Saturday people, to realize that now we're all Sunday people in Christ Jesus by his death and resurrection, by his blood shed on Calvary for the forgiveness of our sin. That is good news, and that is the bottom line. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more good news here on this Good News Friday. The elections were kind of a big, fat blah for anybody of the Christian faith, except in one little area where I think it's important for us to know that some changes are coming. We're going to talk about school boards coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and boy, I'll tell you what. When it comes to good news stuff, um, I love the fact that the good news is good news about the good news of the gospel, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We've got Thanksgiving coming up, and how exciting that is to uh, have the opportunity to uh, celebrate with family and friends and to share, uh, our return our gratitude, our thanks 
for the goodness of God in spite of the fact that we are who we are and we mess things up royally. But it's interesting too to see the number of people who are having, I think, a very healthy revelation about the fact that the world is corrupt, that America may have been founded on Christian principles, but it certainly right now is not a Christian nation. And yet we have the opportunity to stand up and speak the truth to a culture that really doesn't know it. We have to be mindful of the prayer of Jesus on the cross where he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because the vast majority of people in the United States right now, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to their sin, really don't know what they're doing. But we had some good news in the last election. I mean, people are voting you know, for abortion. They're voting for euthanasia. They're voting for transgender surgeries for minors because they think it's the kind, loving thing to do. They don't realize that they've been lied to. Okay, so we just keep telling them the truth in love and uh, lovingly coming alongside, not going into our Chick-fil-A huddles and spiritual silos to keep away from them, but rather to engage. And one place where I'm so proud to see more and more American parents and grandparents stepping up is in running for school board. School boards across the country had a huge voter turnout for people who do not support the trans ideology, the leftist woke ideology, critical race theory, and things of that nature. Now, there's a big difference between teaching the truth about racism in America and teaching critical race theory. That We can't underscore that enough. No one would ever deny the horrible impact, I mean, a sane person would, the horrible impact of slavery in the United States. People will try to twist and turn it because they want to keep you know, being victimized by it. But the idea that every European a person of European descent is inherently racist because of the 1619 project, that's just not true. So when you see a candidate saying, I'm against CRT, please make sure that they do want to teach accurately and uh, authentic American history with regard to what's happened with slavery and racism and things like that, but just not getting into the blanket statements of, you know, blacks are always good and whites are always bad and women are better than men and whatever. It just, we don't gain anything there. There was a tweet. I think they still call them tweets. Uh, the uh, Twitter platform has been rebroadcast, rebranded as X. I think that might be for a business model decision, but nonetheless. And according to the American Federation of Teachers, they took a swipe the day after the election uh, last week with regard to the number of conservative candidates that ran for school boards. Now, the American Federation of Teachers has become just a communist, horrible organization. And if you're a teacher and you're part of the AFT, I'm so sorry you have to deal with that. Same with the National Association of Education, California Teachers Association here in the People's Republic of California. It's not anything like it used to be when my parents taught there. And if you're a Christian, you're still in that quagmire. God bless you for standing up for biblical values in the middle of their leftist ideology. But the American Federation of Teachers, the same organization that said the kids are all going to get COVID in record amounts and kill everybody, so we got to keep them home, that distance learning wasn't going to be a problem, that we were all equipped to handle this. And now they're looking and saying, wait, the infection rate with kids with COVID was high, but the death rate wasn't even close. The, uh, the, the distance learning has resulted in learning loss. Uh, kids are further behind. They're leaving public schools in droves. So I, I don't know why they would even say something like this. But according to the Associated Press, the American Federation of Teachers posted a tweet that said, 
Candidates publicly endorsed by conservative groups like Moms for Liberty and the 717 Project lost 80% of their races nationally in elections this week. I say they said about 80%. Now, please know that whenever we post something here at the Bottom Line Show, we like to post things that have accurate information. The, in other words, you get familiar looking at the articles when you go to thebottomlineshow.com. Tamara always posts them at the end of every day. Sometimes she posts them ahead of time so you could read the article along with me while I'm having conversation. But what's interesting about those articles is I am drawn to media sources, whether it's CNN, Associated Press, Fox News, Christian Post, whatever it is, that has lots of what we call hot-linked or hyper-linked stories in them. Those are those cool colors when you're reading something that's like a white background, like I'm looking at right now, that has black ink on it, well, at least on the computer screen, and then you see things in blue. Like in a statement posted to X on Wednesday, last week, 1776 Political Action Council founder and President Ryan Gudersky rejected the assertion of an Associated Press article citing the American Federation of Teachers claim that his organization and a similar organization, Moms for Liberty, saw 80% of their endorsed candidates lose their races. Now, in the AFT tweet, the only thing that's hotkeyed is Moms for Liberty's website. They don't put anything up in this article to support their claim. They just make the claim. And so uh, Ryan James Gudersky, who is the head of the uh, Moms for Liberty group, or the 717 Project, excuse me, retweeted and said, "Uh, excuse me, Associated Press and Jeff Moholyville, this is not true. The 1770 Project PAC won 58% of our school board elections yesterday. We did not lose 80%. We demand a retraction. The article said on Thursday, 70% of the two groups endorsed candidates lost, noting that the article uh, refused to uh, to refute the tally. So they went from 80% losing to 70% looting, losing, still not true. Assuming all unofficial results hold, the 16, or 1776 Project PAC will have seen 68 of its 118 preferred candidates win in the general election. That's a success rate of 58%. It's not a loss rate of 70%. Um, They also then, the 1776 Project, posted a thread. Basically, they posted a thread and it says, you know, here's election day coming up this Tuesday. Here are all the states, candidates, and districts in which we are supporting candidates that will stop left-wing assault on classrooms. You see what they're doing here? They're posting their results. They're posting who the race was going in and then the results afterwards and saying, hey, look, it wasn't a landslide, but there were 116 different races where they endorsed candidates and 68 candidates won. That's not an 80% loss. I mean, I could do the math here in my head, I think. If they had 118 candidates and 80% of them lost, that would mean that they would have 23 candidates who won. The total amount was 68. Well, then the AP retracted it and said, we didn't mean 80%, we meant 70%. Okay. 11, 8, 23, 6, uh, 34, 35, so 35 candidates. But it was actually 68. So again, they are lying to you. Brothers and sisters, do yourself a favor. (laughs) Do the math. 
I'll never forget, was playing in a basketball league right here in Orange County at the place that used to be called the Crystal Cathedral. And uh, we went every Tuesday night. They had a gym played on carpet. It was kind of strange. Played with a group of guys that we used to play at EV Free Church in Fullerton. And we played two seasons, 10 games each season. We were 0-20. We were a terrible team, but we had fun. There was one game where we played. It was a very, very close game. We wound up losing by about five or six. And the following week, we went to the gym to get ready to play our game. And we noticed that one of the guys on our team, uh, his name was Bernie. We never knew his last name. We just called him Burn Me because he was a short little guy who could hit these outside shots and no one could stop him. We noticed that he was highlighted as the leading scorer in all the games that week. And we went, wow, that's really great. So we saw he had 24 points or whatever it was. And so I went back to the, the scorebook that they had. And I went through, and it, just for grins, I counted up the score in the scorebook based on the way they'd counted our individual score tallies. And when I counted up the individual score tallies, I found out that the other team had been given an 84 to 78 victory, but we were the team that actually won based on the individual stats that they recorded. So I went over to the official scorer and I asked her, I said, hey, here's the deal. And I showed her what the counting was. And she said, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I said, so are you guys going to change it? And she said, no. I said, why not? She goes, well, we already entered it as a win for them, so we're not going to go back and change it now. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Why would they? I mean, this is a church league for crying out loud. These ostensibly are Christians who were there, but apparently they had a problem with a group from the outside coming in and infiltrating their league. And so they were perfectly content to let a mistake like that stand. Now, I ask you this question somewhat rhetorically. When was the last time anyone went to the Crystal Cathedral? No, I mean this sincerely. This is not sour grapes over a basketball league from 20 years ago. But you have to wonder if something that small that was so easily correctable by facts and someone spoke the truth to it and the church denied it, how many other places were they that way? Brothers and sisters, we don't want to get angry for the wrong reasons. We want to share the good news of the gospel. We want to proclaim it in the old polling place and in the business world. And we need to speak the truth in love. Hats off to the 1776 Project for combating lies with truth, graciously and with respect. That is good news, and that's the bottom line there. As we continue, have you ever wondered, I mean, we hear about PTSD, and last week we had a you know, Veterans Day a time of gathering and celebration for people who had been in combat, and oftentimes we think of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, as being something that has happened to someone who's serving in the military or maybe as a first responder. But what about rank and file people like us? Do you and I potentially qualify for being diagnosed with PTSD? And how do we rank and deal with this? Dr. Curtis Solomon is going to join me next. We're going to talk about a book he wrote called I Have PTSD, Reorienting After the Trauma. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a copy or two of this book that we're going to be giving away today. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Well, today here on the bottom line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that is probably more prevalent in homes than uh, now than ever before. And the question is, what happens when it, it does impact your home? Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, uh, when someone experiences a traumatic event, 
they can feel confused. They can feel just lost or out of control. And oftentimes in modern culture, we think of PTSD, that means somebody was in the military. But the reality is PTSD can affect anybody for any kind of trauma. And today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Dr. Curtis Solomon to have a conversation about a brand new book that he has written. Uh, the book is called I have PTSD reorienting after trauma. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Curtis Solomon, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thanks so much for having me. It's a delight to be with you today. Curtis Solomon is the executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition and program coordinator for biblical counseling at Boyce College. His undergraduate work at the Masters University right here in Southern California and also earned his uh, MDiv, THM, and PhD from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I have to ask you, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, as the father of a daughter who just graduated with a PhD, is that where your first experience with PTSD came? Was doing your PhD work right that dissertation? No, but no, but I do have nightmares about it still. That's I'll bet. For sure. I'll bet. <laughs> I would imagine that's the the most the most steady and consistent counseling she ever got was while she was finishing that final year. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about PTSD first and foremost. Just kind of a a basic framework. What how what is defined as post traumatic stress disorder? What kind of trauma would cause it? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. The PTSD, if you to get that diagnosis, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Psychological Disorders, uh, says that you have to face a particular type of event or series of events, and those are called potentially traumatic events. And the DSM does limit those to things that actually do or threaten to uh, end life, seriously alter somebody's physical life or uh, violate sexual integrity. Mm. And then somebody who experiences something like that, if they, they develop a certain set of what they call cluster symptoms, then they can be, and those symptoms last for longer than a month and interfere with life, then they can be diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, those symptoms gather around four main clusters, uh, intrusive symptoms, People think about those as nightmares, flashbacks, intrusive memories, things like that. Mm -hmm. Avoidance symptoms, which are uh, trying to avoid anything that reminds me of the trauma or might trigger my traumatic responses. Um, exaggerated startle response is another, like uh, changes in arousal or reactivity is what it's called. So you think of somebody who's hypervigilant or maybe can't sleep, they... Uh, you know, you tap them on the shoulder and they jump around or about to strangle you. Hmm. Uh, and then the last is alterations and negative alterations in cognition or mood, just the difficulty of concentrating, uh, not being able to think very well, or just having a very negative outlook on everything, including things that you used to enjoy doing and you used to love doing. If those things exist in somebody after going through a potentially traumatic event, then they can receive the diagnosis of PTSD. Uh, in my book and in my teaching, I talk about a different way of looking at it uh, that does talk about a whole person response when somebody is impacted by significant or I mean, severe suffering. I think all suffering is significant. Yes. Really severe suffering uh, impacts our whole person. Uh, and But in God's hands, it can actually be used to grow us and, and mold us and shape us more into Christ-likeness. Uh, but when we don't respond well to it, it tends to make things a lot worse. And I like people to understand that this is not an abnormal response to normal life. This is a really common response to disordered life or really mm. extreme suffering. And that's why in my book, I advocate for removing the D off of PTSD and just calling it post-traumatic stress. 
Yeah, that, that's a great, a great definition from Dr. Curtis Solomon today here on The Bottom Line. The book, I Have PTSD, well, that's in the title, uh, Reori Reorienting After Trauma. There's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I appreciate the fact that you kind of delineated between the two, because as I mentioned in the intro, um, a lot of times when you hear PTSD now, that means, oh, that was someone who was in the military. They witnessed, you know, killing or bloodshed or whatever it was that kind of set them off. They come back home and we've kind of baked that into the American Western culture now. And even the church has kind of become more uh, used to that, if you will. But one of the issues you deal with in the book, the fact that people are trying to fight this battle alone and other people aren't necessarily as helpful as they could be. And yet... Understanding we're we're in a disoriented world, you know, we're in a crazy world right now, and not just the last 10 years with transgender ideology and gender dysphoria and that type of thing, but the world has gotten a lot weirder. And yet, as people of faith, we understand that we serve a Lord, we serve a God who is in the restoration business. Talk, talk about how, not to oversimplify it, but without faith in Christ, it's virtually impossible, I would think, to recover from a PTSD. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, many people, if you go to, so the part of the reason we think about it as a military issue is it was first developed as a diagnosis after studying Vietnam vets. It first came out as a diagnosis in 1980. Uh, and that makes sense because you have a large population of people who are all experiencing traumatic events at one time and a the the infrastructure of the VA and DOD there to study them. But as I mentioned in the book, and as you mentioned, it can be all kinds of things, natural disasters, assaults, car accidents, you know, sudden unexpected deaths of a loved one, that kind of thing. Um, but we want to help people move away from just thinking it's a military issue to understanding it's a whole life issue. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's every person can have this type of experience. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, uh, you wonder, I, we don't see this explicitly, but think about what it would have been like to be Adam or to be Eve and walk up and find Abel uh, laying on the ground. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. what kind of impact yeah. did that have on them? I was thinking about the Cain and Abel thing that was actually one of the topics of conversation at church this past weekend. And that whole thing of not only finding Abel, but then realizing Cain's the culprit. I mean, that, yeah. that's you got two big major events there that Adam and Eve had to deal with. So PTSD, the way we define it today, Dr. Curtis Solomon really has been with us since the garden. And we, we really shouldn't be surprised that it has had this kind of traumatic impact. Dr. Curtis Solomon, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called I Have PTSD, Reorienting After Trauma. Link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. When you deal with a patient, when you're working with someone who has PTSD and they don't know it, I would imagine the first step is helping them kind of come to terms with it. I mean, how, how do you, what's a good first step for someone who says, gosh, I don't know why I'm feeling this way or acting this way, and you introduce this concept to them. I would imagine there's some reckoning with the past and maybe trying to lay a foundation for peace that has to happen at that point. Yeah, well, one of the one of the things I don't actually point people to a diagnosis. Most of the people, if they're coming to me uh, and they're struggling with post-traumatic stress, if they've been in counseling before and therapy before, they may already have the diagnosis. Okay. I'm not a licensed uh, therapist. I do do I do biblical counseling. So I'm not a licensed therapist, so I don't actually diagnose people. But what I do is I can talk to them about what they're experiencing and help them understand why certain things are happening to happening to them. Mm -hmm. So I address in the book some of the physiological impacts of trauma. And this is really helpful for people not to excuse anything or take away responsibility, but for them to just have a have an understanding of what's going on. Right. Uh, 
all of us have that relief when we get a diagnosis from the doctor, even if it's you, you go in with a sore throat and the doctor says, oh, you have strep and here's something we can do about it. That's really comforting. Yeah. People are struggling with post-traumatic stress. They're experiencing lots of different, weird, unusual things that are not, they don't think of as normal and they feel very out of place. And it can, you know, one guy I knew who founded a great ministry, wrote a lot of books on his own personal experience, thought he was developing epilepsy. And it was severe PTSD was what he was ultimately diagnosed with. Wow. He just understanding like my body is trained to sense threats, assess threats, respond to threats, and then recover from threats. And when that threat system is overloaded or either through significant, like very severe suffering or repeated instances of threat, threat, uh, it can go haywire a little bit and it doesn't assess threats correctly. It doesn't, uh, th- sense those threats cor- correctly, doesn't respond to them and doesn't let me recover. Um, so just helping somebody understand what's going on with them, that this is a common response to severe suffering, not an uncommon or not an abnormal response to normal life mm. is, is very, very helpful to the person who's wrestling with these issues. Well, that's good counsel from Dr. Curtis Solomon today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of a brand new book called I Have PTSD, Reorienting After Trauma, whether for you or for a loved one or if you're a pastor or a lay leader and you're, you're looking for ways to help people who might be coming into your office and saying, hey, I don't know what to do. Um, this may be a good to help you identify some of the symptoms, not that you're going to be diagnosing rather, but rather just understanding what's going on in their world or in your world if the book is for you. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to talk on the other side of this break about how we can refocus, reorient, if you will, uh, things that happened in the past, what's going on right now, and and what your future can hold, and how the, someone who's been impacted by PTSD can build resilience in the days to come, knowing that you've endured a really difficult hardship. More of my conversation with Dr. Curtis Solomon in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You've been hurt in an accident, and you're wondering if you should call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. You must. That's why insurance exists, to cover accidents, so you should use it. Stephanie worked in the insurance industry for over 20 years, and she knows their system, how to talk to adjusters, how they think, and how to get back from them all that you've lost. That could be wages, time, property, or anything else that the accident has taken from you. Every minute you wait hurts your chance to be made whole again. And Stephanie knows that the opposing insurance company is building a case against you, so time is a factor. Stephanie cares about the truth. She builds your case on a rock-solid foundation of honesty. She will give you a clear understanding of what to expect during the process, and Stephanie will ensure that the truth comes to light. If you or someone you know has been in an accident and you're not sure if you need an attorney, Reach out to Stephanie Cover now at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Curtis Solomon is my guest here on this Good News Friday, and we have good news for you or someone you know if you're battling PTSD. And trust me, the holiday season could be one of those times that will trigger post-traumatic stress disorder more than just about any other time of year. That's why I'm so grateful that we have this conversation with Dr. Solomon today. We have not one, but two copies of this book that we're giving away, and I would love to get it to you before Thanksgiving if we can. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through. 
to the bottom line. Again, we have two copies, not one, but two copies of this outstanding book by Dr. Curtis Sullivan called I Have PTSD. It's really very simple. Uh, Reorienting after the trauma. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. When someone experiences a traumatic event, you feel, well, more than anything else, you feel confused. You feel out of control. I mean, and that leads you to be unsure and unsteady, especially if that trauma happened when you were younger. You, you understand, I mean, as you get older, that young kids do not have the capacity to process trauma that even adults can't process. I mean, you think of kids who've been abused or grew up in abusive homes or maybe have the loss of a parent and they don't understand why. I have some friends who are dealing with this right now, a, a woman who's dealing with a potentially terminal illness and she has three young children and her parents are helping to care for the young children and debating whether or not they let the kids have a whole lot of access to mom right now simply because they're not sure how they'll respond to her not coming back from the hospital. These are huge issues to deal with. But just because you didn't get in a major car accident or you didn't lose a million dollars in some crooked business deal doesn't mean you have an experience. And especially you weren't a first responder or weren't in the military. Uh, PTSD is real and there are biblical ways to work through it. 800-227-5278 gets you in on the drawing for one of the two books that we're giving away today by Dr. Curtis Solomon on reorienting after trauma if you have PTSD. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Dr. Curtis Solomon is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Curtis is the Executive Director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, also Program Coordinator for Biblical Counseling at Boyce College. Uh, He and his wife, Jenny, have co-founded Solomon Soul Care. Uh, They have two two sons that they describe as delightful, and they make their home in Kentucky. What makes your son so delightful, Curtis Solomon? Uh, they're, I mean, everything they're intelligent, (laughs) fun, enjoyable young men. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. How old are they? 14 and 10. Wow. Okay. You're still saying that about, and you got teenagers in the home that you you guys are doing something right. Praise the Lord. Glad to hear that. Praise to him. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now the book, I have PTSD is not written about the Solomon sons. Um, It's about Dr. Curtis Solomon's work and what they do at Solomon Soul Care. The book is called, I have PTSD reorienting after trauma. We have a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com. And one of the aspects that uh, we do find ourselves facing in the culture right now, Dr. Solomon, is the fact that uh, people are coming to terms with things that have happened in their past um, mm-hmm. and and having to kind of do an assessment. I think of it, it for especially for people who live in, uh, in areas where there are natural disasters that happen. You know, that mm-hmm. storm comes through and you, you see the aftermath of the hurricane or the tornado, the earthquake, whatever it is, and you watch it, people kind of walking through the rubble of what used to be their home. And uh, oftentimes when I see that, I kind of think of the person who's doing that emotionally to their soul after having PTSD. Is that an accurate, is that a fair parallel as to what people have to do in terms of grieving losses, taking responsibility for what might have been your fault or, or isn't, and then kind of rebuilding from there? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great picture. And that's why I put in there reorienting after traumas, because trauma is a very disorienting experience. You feel 
tossed about, turned around. Sometimes your previous beliefs and ideas about the world and people and yourself and God are just completely upended. And you do kind of have to help people rebuild or, or reorient their, their lives, their whole lives around what God says about their lives. So one of the things that we do, and I, I help people walk through this in the book, is to assess their own heart, meaning their their beliefs, their desires, and their emotions uh, around God, others, themselves, and their experiences or their circumstances. And particularly with trauma, we have to help people understand and reinterpret their past experience uh, through God's lens, through God's understanding, which is very often very different than our own. So I even in the book have diagrams for people or graphs for people to fill out thinking about their past past. That means if you were back where you were when you experienced that trauma, what were you thinking, feeling, and wanting right. towards God, yourself, others? And then I have a what I call a present past. That means right now when you reflect back, how is that different? Because uh, what we realize with post-traumatic stress is that there is an interpretive nature to it that is both harmful and helpful. If we misinterpret the situation, we tend to go worse and get worse. But if we interpret it through God's vision, then we tend to be able to grow, be sanctified, to, to get better, to not be overwhelmed or controlled or disoriented by the trauma any longer. And after I get their past pass, their present pass, I encourage them to think about after doing some good Bible study, after doing those things that you just mentioned, lamenting the losses that they've experienced, uh, assessing guilt when it's necessary and when it's not necessary, that's actually one of the big things that people in combat do experience is, is all kinds of guilt about things that aren't really their fault. Right. Victims of victims of assault and rape. That's really common as well. So Mm -hmm. just helping them discern, like, what can you take responsibility for and what is not yours to to hold on to? And then laying all of it at Jesus feet. Mm. When people begin to do that, their, their perspective on all of life, including their trauma, comes more in line with what God would say or, or want for them in their life. And that begins to relieve many of the symptoms associated with, uh, with post-traumatic stress. Wow, that's powerful insights from Dr. Curtis Solomon today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called I Have PTSD, Reorienting After Trauma. Just lays it right out there. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Dr. Solomon, over the past couple of months, uh, actually the past year now, I've gotten a, a chance to know a guy who's a clinical psychologist who specializes in resilience. He hmm. uh, has written on it. Uh, that's what he did his uh, doctoral dissertation on. Uh, he found that when he was actually uh, doing his uh, residency uh, in 2007, 2008, the number of patients that were coming into their facility who were just like guys in their 40s and 50s who worked in the financial sector, their mm-hmm. whole livelihood was wiped out by you know the Great Recession, and they didn't know what to do. And he said yeah. it was just amazing to see case after case after case of these guys who could not rebound, find another job, do something else. They just, they, they lost so much of themselves. Talk about how when you are dealing with your past and you're looking to Jesus, like you said, you're laying everything at the foot of the cross and asking him for healing, how part of that healing is not just let's heal up the wounds of what happened, but maybe building a few calluses to go along with it and some resilience there. 
Yeah, no, I love the I love the discussion around resilience, and I was really thankful for this article in the book on post traumatic, uh, the handbook for post traumatic growth, and they had a discussion on resilience where they use because we we actually talk about resilience in a few different ways. And the primary ways that we talk about is recovery, resistance, and then um, something like adaptation. I can't remember the R that was in there, <laughs> yeah. but I put I discuss it in my book. Um, resistance is the idea that we sometimes have that we should be unaffected by our suffering that we're like, and they use the imagery of, a, of trees, like an oak tree. When the storm comes, oak trees don't move, right? They're just solid. <laughs> don't be an oak tree. Yeah. Re, the recovery is more of like a palm tree that bends with the wind of the storm, but then it pops back up in place. And then the last one uh, is really what I actually argue for and believe is a more biblical understanding of resilience and it's like these coastal cypress trees which you guys are familiar with out in california especially we lived on the central coast for a while and you drive oh, yeah. up from, uh, san simeon you'd see these trees that are bent over time with the storms because what's happened is each storm that came along they had another adaptation mm. that made them better equipped to handle the next storm that comes along and that's really what the Bible describes as, as sanctification of how we grow to be like Christ through our suffering. So you think about passages like James chapter one or Romans chapter five, where it talks about that God uses our suffering uh, to mold us and to shape us and to make us better. So yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it may be through calluses. Sometimes it may be through learning to weep more, right? We have a savior who is a man of sorrows and acquainted with much yes. grief. And if we're becoming more like Jesus, maybe part of that is understanding, like, we've got to be a little softer in some ways and tougher in other ways, right? So I love I love that discussion on resilience and try to help people understand uh, that they're suffering. The world says we can have post-traumatic growth, right, without any understanding of God. I say we have a theological reason for understanding that. Uh, God uses those things to make us better. So our goal is not to be unaffected or unchanged by our suffering, suffering, but to be rightly affected, right. rightly changed in to be more like Jesus through our suffering. Amen. Amen. Boy, that is great counsel from Dr. Curtis Solomon today here on The Bottom Line. If you or someone you know uh, has PTSD or might think that you have been impacted by it, it sounds like the numbers of people who are far greater than we might have thought. This resource, I Have PTSD, Reorienting After Trauma, uh, the link is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I highly recommend it. Uh, Dr. Solomon, we have about a, a minute left in our time together, and one of the principles that you write about in this brand new book, you start with it, and we're ending with it here in this conversation, but I, I wanted to circle back around, maybe this is just a Holy Spirit thing, in terms of the fact that so many times what fuels the trauma kind of exacerbates it, makes it even worse, is the fact that there are, there's a certain measure of shame or guilt that goes along with it that tends to make us isolate. Talk about why it's important to recognize not only that we aren't alone when we go through something like this, but then to never fight this battle by ourselves. Johnny Erickson taught us, said it best, uh, community breeds life, isolation leads to death. Mm. Uh, whether it's trauma or temptation, the enemy wants you to be alone in whatever you're fighting. Right. That is a tactic that Satan has used forever, and we use it in combat, and lions use it when they're hunting. Right. If you can isolate an individual, get them off from the crowd, they will be easier to dominate and destroy. Trauma and PTSD are something that you need a community around you to deal with. Right. And I talk about in the book having a transformation team, so I can't get in all the details there, but 
God said it in the beginning is not good for man to be alone. And that has persisted and gotten more important, not less important as we've gone on. So if you are suffering right now, you cannot, you should not be fighting this fight alone. You need brothers and sisters around you who love you, who care for you, who are going to support you, bear your burdens and point you to Christ, who is the ultimate bearer of suffering, the ultimate example of how he can do it well. And the one who's going to empower you to grow afterwards. Powerful words of wisdom. Dr. Curtis Solomon, the book, I Have PTSD, Reorienting After Trauma, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and it's a can't miss if you or someone you know is dealing with this very important issue. Dr. Solomon, thank you for the work you put into this research, into this book, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate the time. Roger, thanks so much for having me. My thanks to Dr. Curtis Solomon for joining us today here on The Bottom Line. Outstanding book and uh, a very necessary read especially if you have experienced a trauma. Everyone's experienced some kind of trauma in your life. The question is, did it lead to post-traumatic stress disorder? Dr. Solomon helps you identify that in this brand new book called I Have PTSD, Reorienting After the Trauma. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And since we love giving away stuff on Good News Friday, we have not one but two copies of this book to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I want to break down a little bit of PTSD, what it means in real life, uh, why it's important for us as Christians to get a handle on it. And then also I want to talk about the link between people who have PTSD in one area of life and how that sometimes can impact a local church congregation. A lot of people have been speaking up and speaking out against abuse that they have experienced at the hands of clergy or in a church situation. And it's led them to maybe think about renouncing their faith or at least, you know, moving from one church to the next. Some good news about that phenomenon in the culture and why if you are a pastor, especially coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas season, and you're wondering whether or not the fact that it seems like so many people have left your church is an indictment of what's happening in your church congregation, I have some good news to share with you there too. So good news on PTSD and good news on church shopping. That's all coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, You know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. 
My thanks again to Dr. Curtis Solomon for a great timely conversation about PTSD, how it impacts us, whether you are a military veteran or worked as a first responder, or if it's just you know, rank and file. Everyone is going to experience some kind of trauma in their lives. The question is, how do you respond to it and how do you recover from it? The book, I Have PTSD, Reorienting After Trauma, it's from the Ask the Christian Counselor series, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, but two copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Your trauma may have been a bad work situation. And after all you went through work-wise, then you get fired or the company goes under and now you're scrambling to find another job. There's some PTSD involved there that you need to deal with. Or what about when you grew up with a rather abusive, distant parent, for example, or maybe you were that parent where you have a child who's dismissive and rebellious and you're trying to you know, cl- claw through the clutter of what that was like. You've got PTSD and you can deal with it. My sister and I talk often about the fact that she uh, was married once for about four years to a guy who was studying for the ministry. He was uh, abusive behind the scenes. We didn't know. And eventually they wound up having to divorce because she had to get out of the house to flee for her life. There's some PTSD there that you have to deal with. And then there's the issue of the church. More and more people have been looking to the church as a source of comfort. I mean, I, as I talked to the nonprofit organizations behind many of the programmers that you hear here on Bottom Line Show stations all across the country, they'll talk about how um, 2021, because of the pandemic, 2020 and 2021 were record years for them with, with regard to uh, donations and support and people praying for the ministry and new people coming on board to help out. At the same time, things kind of dropped a little bit in 2022 because I think as the pandemic began to subside, uh, maybe people weren't as desperate for God. I'm not sure. But then there was the issue of the churchgoers. And Lifeway Research has been focusing on this for quite some time. Of course, there was a huge uptick in the number of people who started worshiping online during the pandemic. In many cases, they didn't feel like they had a choice whether or not to go to church. I've always grateful to hear from pastors all over the country who said, yeah, I know there was the lockdown, this, that, the other thing, but we just kept going. Not because they were trying to stick it to the man, but rather they said, hey, we know what the risks were. Uh, We prayed. We know God wanted us to be together. Uh, I think there's some other churches that suffered irreparable damage during the uh, pandemic. And the reason is because they were trusting government numbers that turned out to be untrue. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that everything the government said during the pandemic is untrue, but you know what? At the end of the day, we can go back and fact check now and say, hey, that's six feet to stop the spread, two weeks to stop the spread didn't work. Face masks um, were something, have been something, if anybody had the flu and they were prone to coughing and sneezing if they wore a mask it kept them from giving the disease they had to somebody else but for people who are walking around with a mask on saying i don't want to catch covid that really didn't help washing your hands incessantly that's always good advice but the whole throw your bibles out of your churches don't meet inside let's wipe down all the pews at the end of every that proved to be untrue as well and then of course the big one was the uh was the vaccination scare. 
and why the CDC was all gung-ho for a vaccination and never once tried to put out anything that looked like a cure for people who were treated you know, for COVID didn't make a whole lot of sense. But LifeWay Research took a look at something that has been a phenomenon for quite some time. We call it church shopping. Some pastors call it sheep stealing. <laughs> but the name of the game is there are a number of people in American churches who are still Christian, who are still, you know, they love God, but they were moving from one denomination or one congregation to the next. And there's been a lot of question as to, you know, a lot of hand wringing as to why this has been happening. A lot of pastors are concerned about it. A lot of churchgoers are talking about it. The church switcher, as they call it. What happens when you see people leaving? And what can be done to stop them from leaving? Is it something about the gospel being offensive? You know, a lot of churches trying to grow their church opted for a message of let's be hyper grace. Let's not talk about sin. Let's talk, not talk about the need for a savior. Let's talk about God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. And Jesus is so madly in love with you. Give your life to Christ. And whenever I hear a pastor give that message, I just kind of chuckle a little bit. And under my breath, I find myself asking the question, what does that sound like, that message, that gospel invitation to somebody who doesn't know anything about God and says, well, Jesus loves me and keeps following me and, and, and wants me to follow, to be with him because he, I don't know this guy. Why should I do that? Why, why would I want that? If there was a man who said, I'm in love with you and stalked you incessantly and said, you need to be in a relationship with me because I'm in love with you. What would you, you'd probably call the police, right? <laughs> but when you put the sin component in, hey, here's the thing. We're sinners. We're born sinful. We live in a sinful fallen world. We can't free ourselves. And that's not really great news. But let me give you good news. There is someone who loves you more than your sin, who loves you enough to pay the penalty for your sin because that sin has to be reconciled with God. A holy God can't be in the presence of people who have unforgiven sin. And we as mortals can't forgive our own sin. We could never pay enough penance to pay the penalty for our sin. But the only one who can is the perfect representation of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, as we say in the Nicene Creed. And that is Jesus Christ. When you preach that message, I'm sure that churches actually do a lot better than the ones who just say, hey, we're going to dress up like Toy Story characters and tell you about a new family series, you know, or whatever. That, that's entertaining, but after a while, you know, uh, how edifying is that? Well, LifeWay did a research, a couple thousand people nationwide, and asked them, if you are a churchgoer who left your church and went to a different church, why did you do it? <laughs> you know, was it church politics? Was it a personal life change? Was it covid related? Or was it just the fact that you moved and needed to find a new church? Uh, on the other side of this break, we'll take a look at what the survey says. And if you're concerned about the fact that people were moving from one church to another because of some horrible things that the church did, all I can say is take a deep breath. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. 
Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You still have a few moments left to get in on the drawing for the outstanding book by Dr. Curtis Solomon. It's called I Have PTSD, Reorienting After Trauma. It's part of the Ask the Christian Counselor series. If you or someone you know, and they don't have to be a military veteran, they don't have to be a first responder, just about anyone can be impacted by post-traumatic stress disorder. The question is, what are you doing about it? And a lot of people, quite frankly, develop some bad habits trying to cope with it instead of saying, yeah, that happened to me when I was a child. I didn't know how to process life when I was a child for that kind of trauma. But now I'm older and I can I can see it a little more clearly. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. LifeWay Resource Research conducted a study of a thousand or so adults who identify either as Protestant or non-denominational, who attend church at least twice a month and attended more than one church as an adult. And when it came to asking the question, okay, have you changed churches recently? If so, why did you do so? You know what the number one reason was? A lot of people say, oh, it's because the pastor was too bold in his proclamation of the gospel and talking about sin. Or maybe the pastor was too political. Or maybe the youth group wasn't very good. Or maybe our kids didn't have a good experience there. Maybe they don't like the music. Well, there were a lot of people who cited a lot of different reasons why they left, but you'll never guess what the number one reason was. 60% of people surveyed said the reason, the primary reason that they changed churches is because they moved. <laughs> Kid you not. I mean, there were some, 22% said that there were disagreements over politics or maybe some teachings that they didn't like. There were 18% who said personal life changes, maybe it was a job or something like that. 13% said it was the COVID pandemic and the lockdowns. 29% said that it was because the congregation changed in a way that they did not like. But 60% of the people said that the name of the game for them leaving the church was they moved. It was just purely practical. Uh, this is the first time, by the way, in nearly 80 years that fewer than half of Americans say that they have a formal membership at a specific house of worship. Seven out of 10 Americans claim some kind of affiliation with any sort of organized religion, but less than half of Americans are actually attending their church or mosque or synagogue on a regular basis. It's interesting. Uh, Pastor Ryan Berge, who's also an assistant professor of political science at Eastern Illinois University, said that younger generations raised in church aren't necessarily returning to church compared to the baby boomers. He said, basically, when you get right down to it, there was this, always a period, like with baby boomers in particular, where they left 
high school. They went off to college. They went off and did their own thing. Religion really wasn't a big deal for them until they got married and had kids. And all of a sudden, the first question was, where's the church? But when it comes to millennials and Gen Z, when they question their faith and they leave, they move on. Now, I can speak anecdotally to this in a case of a couple of my kids, uh, my two daughters, who once they got married and one is a mom and the other one's a mom-to-be, life, grad school, work, and they looked at the churches around them and they would occasionally visit churches, but they said, you know, in the case of Emily and Brian, we've got a kid and we're looking for a church that meets the needs of the child. They moved out of Southern California and once they moved to the Conroe, Texas area, they found a church in a heartbeat and they've been regular attenders ever since. Kane and Kevin are here locally at Mariners, got baptized there, they love it. But there was definitely a season when they were apart from it, they were watching messages online, still reading and doing devotions, but they just didn't have a church home. But their return to regular congregational worship is now the exception rather than the rule. And that may be a bigger concern for churches who are seeking to continue to preach the gospel. But here's the good news. What does scripture tell us about preaching the word of God? Preach it in season and out of season. When you're rising up, when you're lying down, in everything that you do, every opportunity you have, let your light so shine before others that they'll look at you and say, wait a minute, there's something different about you. There's something, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about you that makes people say, I don't see you, I see Jesus. I see the Lord. I see hope. And regardless of what traumatic experiences you've been through in this life, the hope of Christ remains for all who are there to see it. That's good news. That's the bottom line.